Hello and welcome to this week's Sport Zone on Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Paxson and we're here talking sport in Salford. Join the show this week as ever. We have James Sweetman from the Sweetman Salty Podcast. How's your week been, mate? Yeah, terrific week, Rob. It's been exciting, hasn't it? I mean, we had the boxing with Chisora and Parker and now this massive protest outside Old Trafford. It's all going on this week and I can't wait to break it down with you over the next hour. Yeah, we'll start with the football and the protest at Old Trafford. Manchester United fans managed to get the the Liverpool game on Sunday postponed. James protesting against the ownership of Manchester United and the European Super League debacle over the last uh, few weeks. Interesting times. Yeah, most certainly, Rob. Manchester United fans, quite frankly, have had enough of the Glazers, haven't they? It was time for change and... There's one thing doing a peaceful protest, but they didn't think that was going to get the job done. So they've gone absolutely ballistic, haven't they? There's been flares. There have been cars overturned, allegedly. There's been fans storming the ground, demanding change, demanding that the Glazers get out of the football club. Ed Woodward left earlier this week, and now the Glazers seem to be the only thing left for Manchester United fans to target. And I think this European Super League debacle, the greed that United fans think that displayed, that was the final straw the one that broke the camel's back, and now the fans are going mental. They want change, and they want it now, Rob. And as a fan who has been a fan of Manchester United for so many years, who has been around in the glory years, and has been around since the Glazers have, you know, in United fans' mouths, have, have ruined the club, how do you think they've done as chairman of the club? How badly have they ruined Manchester United? Yeah, the, firstly, obviously, we've got to condemn the, sort of the violence and the vandalism in every group, in every protest, there is the idiots. The whole protest um, wasn't majority idiots. They were there peacefully protesting it against the ownership of the club. Let, let's just start there. But, like you said, James, the owners of Manchester United, in my opinion, have hollowed out our great club. And many fans, like myself, are upset about what they've done and... Yeah, people have been out there protesting it against them. And I feel in the majority, a peaceful protest and got the point across. Man United and Liverpool is a massive game worldwide and the whole world are watching. And for the Man United fans to to make this statement will definitely send shockwaves across the world about what is going on at Old Trafford, James. What, What do you think? It's a difficult one, isn't there? Obviously, this protest was probably slightly more violent than a lot of the fans would have liked. I mean, from their point of view, they're trying to get a point across, aren't they? And maybe they see this as their only avenue to do that. But the Glazers have been have been ruining Manchester United Football Club for a very long time. Let's get it straight there about the money. As, you know, I suppose a lot of football clubs are, but the Manchester United fans aren't happy about that. They want change. As for whether this will get anything done or not, I'm not sure. I mean, violent protests in the past have done. People have made change off the back of that. But do the Glazers care in the long run? I mean, I know the fans have picked a fantastic opportunity to do this protest because the whole world is fixated on it. It's Manchester United versus Liverpool. Everybody's looking forward to it. The fact that that's been cancelled, it means that every single person is going to know about this protest. But is it going to actually make a difference? That's the question, Rob. I think it will, James. I think with the protest, the, how the media spin what has gone on. Gary, ne- uh, Gary Neville and Roy Keane were on Sky Sports today after in the aftermath of the of the of the postponement, talking about how they support what is going on. The Man United fans have had enough. Yet yeah, Jamie Carragher as well were talking about 
you know, the village, village idiots making little, you know, making things happen and how the media may focus on that. But in the main, it was a peaceful, it was a peaceful protest. And I think it's all about imagery in this situation. The Man United fans have had enough, James, and they have been waiting 15 years for Glazer, the Glazer family to invest in the club and invest in better players. Our team, if we're being honest, has gone backwards in that period. And the Man United fans are furious about that. Man United are Manchester United. They deserve the best. And we deserve to be competing at the very top of English football and Europe. But with the Glazers, it's all about the money. And it's all about generating cash and using that Man United brand to their advantage. Yes, when Alex Ferguson were there and... David Gill, the football side of the operation, made sure the football side worked. But obviously, when they departed, James, the other side of Manchester United had a bit of a dabble in the football side, and it and it hasn't worked. And that's why the Man United fans aren't happy, James. And it and it's it will. I don't think will will it continue on to the next game? Will they do the next game? Will they do the next game? I don't. I don't think they will. I think. I think because if that's the case, they would have done. They would have done Rome, Roma last week but they didn't so it's all about making sure that their views are seen at the biggest biggest possible moment and i'm just hoping and praying that this their 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 what can i say their views are aired correctly and the uh family consider the position most certainly i think a lot of manchester united fans are going to be wanting rid of the glazers you obviously included I think this European Super League highlighted how greedy the Glazers are. But not only that, it highlighted how greedy a lot of chairmen are in European football and indeed in world football. Are the Glazers massively different from other chairmen? Probably not. Probably not, James. But the thing with Manchester United, it's always been about the football. Sir Matt Busby talked when he was in charge of Man United. He was worried that the business side would would outgrow the football side and it would become about the business and he and he was you know a visionary really because that's what happened but with Manchester United it's all, it should be all about the football all the money generated by the club should be pumped into ma- making that football team and the squad the best it can be not being taken out of the club by owners or agents it's all about making this football team the best football team in the world. And obviously, since the Glazers took over, Man United's level has dropped. And we can't deny that. Whether that's bad management on the pitch or not getting enough money you know, to, to produce good players, we, we could argue all day whose fault it is. But the, the fact of the matter is, since the Glazers have took over Old Trafford, our prestige in the game has dropped most certainly and as we mentioned earlier this is going to be an event that's been seen all over the world a protest that every single fan of Manchester United is going to see United is iconic because it's generated so much publicity all over the world I mean they have a massive fan base in Asia for example what do you think all these international fans are going to think looking at an old trap and seeing these protests I think it's it's strange really because Manchester United reach across the world, don't they? And they have fans everywhere, like you said, China, United States, Australia, all over the world. And Manchester United managed to paint this 
perfect picture about what Man United is all about. Playing good football, you know, we've got the best players in the world. And these fans who are, you know, legitimate supporters, like let's 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 get it there. Let's get it right, because Manchester United reach out to, to everybody, James. Just like in the seventies when people used to, you know, travel all over the country to watch Manchester United, but now it's just a supersized version where they can where they can travel from different countries. Yeah. So these these supporters probably won't understand what the sort of the local heartbeat of, of Man United fans are suffering. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how they react, really, because obviously the Glazers' sort of business plan relies on them fans who can't get to the game to keep investing, keep buying shirts, you know, keep coming on visits. And, and if they decide that they aren't happy with the Glazers' ownership and decide not to turn up, then obviously the, the, the cash cow will, will, will run dry, James. What do you think the mindset is of the Glazers right now after what's gone on today? I think they're probably panicking, James. I really do because Man United and Liverpool are as a global occasion and it's an opportunity for them to make some money on the stock market because the whole news cycle tomorrow would have been all about what happened in the game and their brand would have been out there in the newspapers and the radios and the TVs, but it's not out there for the reason they wanted it to be and it's and with the super league also giving them a bit of a blow they are now painted as the bad guys in this and i don't see how they turn it round and they have an investment in in old trafford they know that if they are to sell there will be plenty of buyers and it'll all depend on how much money they want to make out of old trafford if someone comes in with a four billion bid to, to take Man United off their hands, they'll be out before the door is shut behind them, and that's the, that's 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 the truth. That James, Let, let's get that out there now. The question is, who has enough money to, to to depose them, and will the people coming in be any better? Because the people coming in will be looking at Man United the same way as the Glazers did when they have, have the opportunity to buy Man United by thinking, I put four. A, couple, a few four billion in, I could make twelve. So it's it's equally important getting the right people in because you just don't want Glazer Mark two five years down the line. You definitely don't, Rob. But it seems every single chairman's like this. Is there any option in the world that would be better than this, or are we always going to be in this you know reoccurring cycle of bad chairmans over and over and over again? Because it seems all over the world, all these big clubs, all the chairmen are the same. Well, yeah, the, but there is talk about legislating against what's happening with Man United, with Liverpool, with Man City, and bringing bringing a bit of fan ownership in. Germany have a fan fan ownership based structure, and they work out. They work well to get into you know latter stages of the Champions League. Will these owners of clubs be willing to give away? They say that's the big question. At the moment, for me, James, will football league will they able be able to do that? That's the big question on my, on my eyes. When you have money, you don't want to let it go. So I think it is going to be a stretch to get these chairmen to give a piece of the teams to the fans. But I mean, it happened in Germany and it's worked there, and that's probably a big reason why none of the German sides ended up in the European Super League. I think that's the best case scenario for the Manchester United fans, and it creates this debate of. 
what are the fans? Are they just commodities to the football club who they can make money out of? Or should the fans own their own club? In an ideal world, James, the fans would own the club, wouldn't they? And But unfortunately, I think with football, it's gone past that. And I think we, we just need the fans to have a say and have... Maybe a you say would have a majority having a majority saying it. I know Paul says well, he's not here at the moment, but he does say they're only custodians of your club. The owners who come in are only custodians, and the Glazers are the current custodians of Manchester United. They will be owners after them, but you're just hoping when it does change, the Man United fans are organised enough and everything is, is legislated right by the FA and all the different parties involved to give the fans more of a say on what goes on. Most certainly, Rob. And it's going to be interesting to see how this whole situation develops over the coming weeks. Will the Glazers stay? Will they go? What's going to happen? We don't know, but we'll keep you all up to date here on the Sports Zone. But moving on to slightly more positive news, Manchester United brushed past Roma 6-2, an absolute goal fest. It's very much looking like they're going to be in that Europa League final, Rob. And I've got all the confidence in the world they can win it. How do you think the fixture goes down on Wednesday as well? Yeah, it was a good result for Manchester United. Big game semi-final against Roma, behind 2-1 at one point. And I'm sure there were a lot of United fans thinking, here comes another semi-final defeat. But Manchester United suddenly turned on the on the, the magic, the taps opened up and the goals started to to, to come in. And a 6-2 home, home win in that in that semi-final was a great result. They've got to go to Rome on Thursday. Without a, a total meltdown, we're through to the, the final. And then it, it's a pressure moment then, isn't it, on Ole and the players because it's an education for them and for him. Because obviously, if we can win the Europa League, that gives him confidence. It gives the players confidence going forward into next season because obviously Man City, Liverpool, Arsenal, Chelsea, Tottenham, they'll be there competing like they are every season. But we can win a trophy. It gives you that winning mentality, James. And that's, obviously, it's in the Man United's DNA. Let's get it right. But for Ollie and his boys, this win will be important. Most certainly. And the other Manchester club, Manchester City, they beat Paris Saint-Germain despite going down early. And with a two-goal advantage now, of course, the away goals meaning a lot more. It's very much looking like Manchester City could have their year, their first ever Champions League final as well. Yeah, it's, it's interesting times. Obviously, Pep Guardiola, proven winner in other, in other places. And we're, we're looking at this situation where City have, is it two away goals now? And it's... Oh, sorry, one away goal. and it, Well, yeah, two, because he scored twice. So it is important that they get the job done. Because Man City fans, really, if if you are to be seen as, as being a great club, a big European club, you have to win the European Cup. And I don't think they'll have a better opportunity to do it than this year. They got the, they got the away goals in the bag. They're in the semi-final. They're, they're clear at the top. What what's going to stand in the way, James? It's only it's only going to be a, a, a cock up, isn't it? Really, that's going to that's going to stop them. Um, but we'll see what happens. Man City, the old Man City, had tendencies to to, to fall apart at crucial moments. Uh, we'll just see if uh, Pep's Pep and the uh, the millions he's had has eradicated that problem. Yeah, I think it could well have done, Rob. I think this is going to be Manchester City's year, whether you like it or not. I think Manchester City are going to get a good result. And I'm sure Paul will be very excited about the game 
coming up this week. And then they've also got another one against Chelsea. Huge game for City. Yeah, another big game. This time of the year, the big guns get together and it's who comes out on top. City are clear. They're going to win the league. And I think it's all about psychological points, really, going into next season. If Chelsea can, can turn up at City and get a result, then next season, Man City players and Man City fans might be looking at Chelsea thinking, oh, you know, we're going to have to be on our guard next time because Chelsea are a team in transit. They've got some good players down there at Stamford Bridge. They're learning how to win. And if they can turn City over, that's going to put doubt in City's minds. But what can we say? Man City are a great side. They know how to win. Uh, and it'll be a fantastic uh, game uh, next week. And United have got Aston Villa away from home. And off the back of this protest, what do you think that game's going to be like? It will be interesting. Obviously, with Europe in midweek, it's kind of how much it takes out the players. Man United are Man United. Every game's a cup final. Aston Villa will want to knock United off the perch. So it will be a test for Oli and his men to get that three points. Most certainly. Let's move on to Salford City. First things first, Rob. I mean, they beat Bradford fantastic. Henderson with another goal, but... They lost to Colchester, but the final nail in the coffin. They're not going to make the Premier League uh, to make the playoffs this season to go up to League One. Are we disappointed in this, Rob? It's, it's, it's disappointing, but the wobble they had six weeks ago, and the amount, the attitude, and the character they've shown, James, to get back to this point is tremendous. They were down to nine men against Colchester, and they ended up going down one nil. They've got one more game against Leighton Orient. Ex-City and Forest Green, who are above them in the table, have Barrow and Oldham uh, to play. So it will be interesting. It will be a big turnaround if Salford do manage to get in the playoffs. Don't get me wrong. But I'm sure in the cold light of day, when, when the Salford fans calm down after the season finish, they'll think to themselves, it's a good jumping off point for next season. Most certainly. I mean, there's a lot of work still to be done at Salford. And do you think if they had gone into the playoffs, and let's say they'd have won them, would they have been ready for League One? I think that's the question we all want to ask. Do you think they'll be more suited to having another couple of seasons in League Two to get used to League Football before they push on to League One? I think it's about momentum, James. With Salford, they've gone on this run where they've been promoted, they've been promoted, and you need to ride that, you need to ride that wave, James. And as soon as you start saying, oh, yeah, we need to consolidate, that's when it starts kind of unravelling yeah I think when you go up the leagues you, you'll get more money so you'll be able to buy a better standard of player to keep you in that division it's not a bad thing that they've the the if they do stay in in the division they're in now and I'm sure they'll 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 take advantage of that another year of experience will will be invaluable next year at this time of the year when it's all about playoffs and getting in involved most certainly, Rob. And that's all the football for today. I'm going to throw back over now to the world of ice hockey. And Manchester Storm are out of the Elite League playoff. What's gone wrong, Rob? Yeah, defeated 8-3 against Sheffield. Out in the semi-final stage, James. It was a brave effort. Let's be honest. Manchester Storm, we thought we'd get there. We thought we had the players... To, to get to the final. But unfortunately, Sheffield are a good side. We, we can't take that away from them. But we're, we're going to go in out with our head held high here, James. We're not going out with a whimper. We, we've achieved in, the, in this elite league and we'll be looking forward to the next season full of optimism. Most certainly, Robin. What will Ryan Finity think about that exit? 
Well, it's been a difficult season, obviously, with COVID striking, the reduced league, playing against the same teams sort of three and four times. I suppose it's difficult being a coach motivating these players because obviously these players are athletes and ice hockey is a fantastic sport. You know, it's fast, it's furious, it's strong. You're playing two games a week, three games a week sometimes, and it's physically exhausting for them. So half of the battle is, is keeping them physically fit and also mentally fit. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that Ryan Finity did that really, really well. In, in the in the build up to sort of the semi finals, and unfortunately Sheffield just had enough to, to to beat them. Who do you think Manchester Stones players of the tournament were, Rob? Yeah, I think Kieran Long, fantastic goal scorer for for Storm, knows where the goal is. I've said many times that Manchester Storm lacks a goal scorer, but this guy knows where the the goal is. You give him the puck and he'll score. That's the bottom line. Dallas Earhart. The captain, the leader, strong defender. If you can keep them two fit and in your team, you've got a good base to build from. Fawcett, Tyson Fawcett, another fantastic player for Manchester Storm. And finally, Maxime Fortier impressed me in the last few weeks. Knows where the goal is, quick along the ice. And, and that's what these Manchester Storm fans, they want to be excited, James. And they've got some players in that squad that do exactly that. Yeah, there's some great players, aren't there? And hopefully next season could be a better campaign for them. But Rob, on a slightly more negative note, as Manchester won't be in this final, we still have to break it down. Who do you think wins between Sheffield and Nottingham? Well, it, two top teams. Nottingham, for me, are favourites going into the three the three series final. But we'll have to wait and see. Anything can happen in in the in the Elite League final, uh, and I'm sure we'll have a, a quick recap next week about what happened. We most certainly will. Looking forward to that one, Rob. Moving on to the boxing now, and I'm delighted to be joined by Paul Whiteside. And the first fight we need to talk about, Paul, is the one that occurred on Saturday night between Derek Chisora and Joseph Parker. And it was just as good a fight as we suggested it would be. Chisora knocking Parker down inside the very first 10 seconds of the bout. It was a tale of two halves, really. The Brit dominated the first off. The New Zealander came back in the second. And at the end of the fight, Joseph Parker won a split decision. It's been met with a lot of controversy. I personally thought Derek Chisora nicked the fight. Which way did you see it? I think I'm with you, James. Yeah, good evening. I think I'm with you. Um, I th- just just going off the, the knockdown, to be honest with you, with that round being a 10-8 round, I think it was a very close fight. But I think that 10-8 round would have swayed me in favour of Chisora. I think he nicked it by two rounds. Um, so yeah he was very close so a lot of those rounds in the last stage of the fight the second half of the fight were very very close Joseph Parker looked you know in control there I thought in sort of rounds 9, 10, 11 but those rounds again you could have given some of them Chisora it's, it, did very, it was a very very difficult fight to score I thought but with it being that close I think the knockdown for me just just would have swayed me if I had been a judge it would have swayed me to give the decision to, to to uh, Derek Chisora, but I think you, you've got to say there's got to be a rematch there between those two. It was that that tight the decision on that one, definitely a rematch. I'd say. What things do either man need to do to be better next time? Oh, that's a good question. I think well, Joseph Parker will just want to to rub out if he, if he could rub out that knockdown in the first round. It was a pretty good performance from him, and I was impressed with him. Um, I thought he boxed really well. He, he looked strong. He looked energetic. He, his fitness seems to last him right, right through the latter stages of the fight. Derek Chisora, oh, um, 
I, th- I think there's there's little bits and bobs he can improve on, but you know what you're going to get with Derek Chisora. He's usually the same every fight, isn't he? You know what you don't know what to expect for him. He likes to to drag you in the middle. And he likes to give you a bit of a brawl, doesn't he? Whereas I thought Joseph Parker just seemed to me to to box off uh, off that jab a bit better. So I think there's there's there's, there's ways that both both men can 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 be better. Um, but we'll have to just watch this space on the rematch. I definitely think a rematch will happen, though. Definitely, it was a, it was a good fight. I think that's probably the the, the right decision if they, they both uh, do it all again. Yeah, I think you're right, Paul. There could well be a rematch coming up next, as both men seem to want that fight. We talked last week about Joseph Parker hooking up with Andy Lee as a new trainer. We thought maybe that could bring some improvements to his game. Parker might be rejuvenated on the night. Do you think Andy Lee made any improvements to Parker? Was there anything noticeable? Yeah, and I think so. I think he looks a bit sharper in that fight, and I think he's a bit more durable for me coming down the track. You know, as you come to the the championship rounds of the fight, as Carl Frotch always calls them. Um, you know, you get into like nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Those, those rounds there, you've got to be, especially in heavyweight boxing, you, you're taking a lot of punishment there. You think of the power of some of those shots that are coming from from Derek Chisora, and quite a few of them landed as well. They can take a lot of steam out of you. So, all right, throwing punches, that can take the steam out of you, but taking those punches as well, you know, taking that, that punishment and those blows, that can knock you, knock you, sap your energy. And I think he had a lot of energy for me at the end of that fight and looked a looked fit guy. Like I said, I was impressed with him. I think sometimes he's let himself down on the big stage, but I think he did, did very well in that fight. And as I said, I thought Chisora nicked it, but... It was a very, very close fight. And I think that's why the, the rematch is the obvious choice because it was such a close fight and it could have gone either way. Moving on to the co-main event, Katie Taylor versus Tasha Jonas. An excellent fight. I had it 5-4 going into the last round. I thought Tasha Jonas bossed the first minute of that last round, nearly forced a draw. But then Katie Taylor came up really strong in the last 30 seconds. That's maybe what solidified her win. Great fight, great advert for women's boxing and another fantastic performance from Katie Taylor. Yeah, it was. It was. It was a great fight. That absolutely tremendous fight, and I think we all expected it to be. Sometimes big fights like that, when they, they build up, they don't always live up to it. But that one certainly did. And as you said there, I think I scored it pretty similar to you. I think it was there was nothing between them. You know, sort of cigarette paper between them there towards the end. And I think you're right that that last sort of thirty seconds, Katie Taylor come on strong. She was you know throwing some eye catching punches there. And, and sometimes when you've got a fight as close as that. That, that sort of momentum in the last round can just sway the judges and just tie it in your favour. So uh, it was a tough one to, to call, though, really. I mean, you couldn't you couldn't have argued there if a, if a draw had been given on that one. And that's another fight. I'd like to see that happen again because it was so entertaining and, you know, a, a real top-class fight between two top-class women boxers. I'd love to see that fight again. Real, real, real good advert for the sport. I think I would too. Chessie Jonas hopefully wins a world title at some point in her career because she was obviously very close against Katie Taylor. And a lot of people think she beat Terry Harper. So hopefully a world title comes for her. But moving down to the next fact, Chris Eubank Jr. was back in action against Manchester's Marcus Morrison. And he didn't disgrace himself by any means, manning to go the whole distance with Eubank Jr. What did you make of this performance? Do you think Roy Jones Jr. had a positive influence in the corner? Yeah, yeah. Possibly. I thought Marcus Morrison would have it tough against Chris Eubank Jr. I, I think boxing is about levels sometimes. I think Eubank Jr. is just slightly above above Marcus Morrison, and I think he showed that in the fight. You know, you've got to credit Morrison. I think he, he gave everything he had in that fight, but it just always seemed to me just to be on the back foot. And Eubank just seemed a bit stronger to me, and uh, he was he was pinching most of those rounds, and his quality shone through really. But Marcus Morrison, real real game athlete, real top fighter, and uh, you know, 
he sort of watched his career at the start and, and big things were, were, were sort of thought was going to happen for him. And, and for one thing or another, it's not quite happened. He's, he's still a relatively young man and he can come back from this. There's no doubt about that. But it was uh, it was one-way traffic for me, I thought, in, in that fight. I, I didn't really score many of the rounds for Morrison, but he's very game, very brave as well and, uh, and give everything that he had. Next up, we were given a showing from Dimitri Bivol, WBA light heavyweight champion of the world, as he took on Craig the Spider Richards. And last week, maybe we didn't give Richards enough credit because I think we both felt he might get blown out of the water in this one. But he was very competitive throughout the fight. Was it a great performance from Craig Richards managing to, you know, almost get to that world level? Or was it a poor performance from Dimitri Bivol? Does he need to be doing better against this level of opponent? No, I think I think the the first one you said. I think I think Richards did did very well in that fight. Perhaps we did give him a bit of a disservice last week. He certainly raised his game, didn't he? I thought he was tremendous in that. Boxed really well and showed an awful lot of heart and a lot of credit against a very very strong fighter and a very very tough fighter as well. So that that will do him the world of good. Do his confidence the world of good as well. You know, sometimes you need that. You know, you need to step up and, and raise your raise your game and, and and raise yourself up to that that world sort of level. So. You know, look at promoters now and, and other fighters looking for fights. They'll be looking at Richards thinking he can fight. You know, he can give us a really good contest. He can sell some tickets. And, uh, you know, he might have announced himself then. He might have put himself in the shop window to, you know, to, to get bigger fights in the future. Yeah, I thought he'd, he'd come out of that performance with an awful lot of credit. The car kicked off with a massive upset as James Tennyson was blown out inside a round by Giovanni Staffron. James Tennyson being a man who, you know, is renowned for his punching power, his wild fight, somebody who Johnny Nelson tipped to beat Javonta Davis a while ago. And a question I want to ask you, Paul, is recently, you know, on Sky, we've been seeing some outlandish commentary here and there. Do you think comments from Johnny Nelson saying things like, you know, James Tennyson can compete with the Javonta Davises of this world? Do you think the Sky commentary is going a bit far sometimes? Um, it does in the rugby league. <laughs> I must admit, it's very been very poor in the rugby league. But yeah, so I, I don't know. I think sometimes commentators tend to get a bit excited, don't they, about things and probably just say things and then regret what they've said about an hour later or so. So yeah, I, I like Johnny Nelson. I've got a lot of time for him. I think he's uh, he was a good fighter, and he you know his his career is a story in itself. But uh, but yeah, that that did seem a, a strange comment. I think sometimes it might be the heat of the moment and the excitement of the night that they'll. They just sort of let their imaginations and the and the sort of what's the word I'm looking for their emotions run away with them really. So uh, perhaps he did a bit there. Ricky Hatton's son Campbell was back in action, getting his second win in the professional ranks. How amazing was it to see Campbell Hatton performing at the arena that Ricky Hatton had so many good nights at? Oh yeah, very, very special. Like they were saying last night, it's his first win in in, in Manchester, and no, it was only a four rounder. So it's only a, it's like a quick fight for him, really, wasn't it? But again, he showed an awful lot of quality. And just thinking to myself last night, once crowds do start coming back to boxing, you can see Campbell Hatton selling a lot of tickets because he seems a he seems a decent lad. Um, he seems an exciting lad. He's a Manchester City fan as well, I believe, isn't he? Like his dad, and you can see people. I don't, I don't, I don't, don't like calling it a bandwagon, but. I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. I mean that as in, like, you know, the jumping on the, the Ricky Hatton sort of train. And you can see people doing that with Campbell, likeable guy, exciting boxer as well. And it's a story that people want to be part of and want to get behind. So I think the Campbell Hatton story in the next few years is going to be a really exciting journey. And, you know, in a few years' time, you can see that Manchester Arena rocking. I mean, I've been in there watching Anthony Crawler in there. I never saw Ricky Hatton in there. Um, but I saw, I saw a crawler in there many a time and it's a fantastic arena in there once you get that Manchester crowd behind you. So that's something that, you know, if you, if you speak to Anthony about it, he's, he's sort of nearly in tears when he's telling you about it. So I'm sure uh, Campbell Hatton will get some days like that in the near future. 
And the last one to talk about on this bill pulled Scott Fitzgerald from Preston was back in action. Of course, a couple years back, he had that amazing run, defeating Anthony Fowler and Ted Cheeseman. Then his life ran away a little bit. He was crumbling out of control. He had the drug problems, etc. But he's back in action now. He was boxing at super middleweight, two divisions higher than his last fight at super welterweight. Is it a while until we see him back in the big fights? He's still got a big lot of weight to lose. Yeah, I can't see him boxing at super middleweight for, <coughs> excuse me, for much longer. <laughs> I think that was due to the weight that he was carrying. He did look a little fleshy, didn't he, around the midriff. And, um, he didn't look as sharp, but you can still see he's got a lot of quality. So what, I, I watched that fight early doors while I was, while I was cooking my tea last night because it was on quite early. And um, Yeah, he still he did like that sharp. That's, that's to be, um, that's to be um, you know, it's obvious that he's been in his back of the ring that long. So, you know, to come back and, and get that result, that'll do him the world of good. And I know he does a bit of training with his dad, doesn't he? And, you know, he seems to have like a close-knit sort of team there. And he's, he's got a lot of talent. He, he has. He's, he's got a real fierce jab. And he's got plenty of power as well behind that. And he boxes well. I like the way he moves. I like his footwork, the way he sort of uh, uses his angles well. So I think he's got an awful lot to offer. If he can keep his head on now and, you know, keep in the sport, you know, keep away from the, the bad things, the bad influences in, in life, he can get back up there to where he was. Because if you go back to 2019, as you mentioned there, the Fowler fight, the Ted Cheeseman fight, these are two big names. Anthony Fowler and Ted Cheeseman are two massive names in British boxing. Um, at, at that level, at that weight level, so you know he, he was up there amongst those guys. So he's got that fight, that that sort of ring rust fight done last night or on, on Saturday night. Sorry, so so now he'll be looking at yeah dropping that weight, keeping in the gym, and then and moving on to bigger and better things. I hope he does because he seems a likable guy. Most certainly. Now moving on to the night prayer. Murti Mafalan has been the IBF flyweight champion of the world since two thousand and eight. He's beaten the likes of Zolani Tete and John Real Casemiro. He was the number one ranked flower on the planet until Friday night when he took on Sonny Edwards, who breezed past him for the first eight rounds. He lost a couple of rounds down the stretch, Sonny, but in general, he completely outboxed the long-reigning South African champion. And he's now world champion himself. Where does Sonny Edwards rank amongst the best fighters in the country? Because he's got to be up there after a performance like that. Yeah, yes, <clears throat> I think he doesn't. He's not got the credit he deserves, to be honest with you, because there's not been a lot of it mentioned in the media over the weekend, and I find that disappointing. Um, I think sometimes certain sports channels should should um, you know just because it's not on their channel, they, they should they should be pro- you know promoting these guys, and just because he wasn't on Sky Sports, he doesn't need to get a mention on their website or on on their sort of pages in the internet and that. And I, and I find that disappointing sometimes. So if you're if you're not a boxing purist, you don't find these things out and you don't know about them. So he uh, deserves an awful lot of credit there. He's beat a super champion with a fantastic performance and, um, you know, really put himself on the map now. So let's hope he gets the credit he deserves. Let's hope he starts getting some big fights on, 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 on British television and, uh, and, and people can see him because we've not got that many world champions anymore. And, uh, no, you know, credit to him, fantastic display. Moving on to the co-main event, Michael Conlon took our in and at Baluta, who's beaten some great Irish fighters like TJ Donaghy and David Oliver-Joyce. Conlon won a majority decision on this one, one of the judges having it a draw. Not his greatest performance. Do you think Conlon is as good as the hype is, or was this just a poor performance? I think just a poor performance, to be honest with you. I, mean, I know judges had it fairly close, didn't they? And that, but yeah, I think perhaps poor performance, I bit of ring rust there for himself as well I mean it's a funny world what we're living in at the moment as well I think without crowds and, and things like that sport it's 
Well, I say it's half a boxes to get motivated, but it's uh, it just seems strange. There's been some strange results, hasn't there, of late? So, uh, so yeah, I think more of a, more a poor performance. But he needs to sort of get back on on track now and get back in the gym and get his head down there and, and start performing again because you know it's a, it's a short career boxing. So, uh, so yeah, he needs to uh, sort himself out. Now in America, Andy Ruiz Jr. returned to the ring and he looked in fantastic shape as he took on Chris Ariola. But it was a shocking performance, really. Not from a, a standard point, but from the fact that Chris Ariola seemed to roll back the years. I mean, the 40-year-old looked like he was in his prime again, dropping Andy Ruiz heavily in the second round, wobbling to him, him to his core in the third. Ruiz managed to rally back in the later rounds and win a points decision. The judges seemingly giving... Far too much credit to Ruiz. It was a very close fight, and I think only giving Ariola one round was criminal, really. But first things first, Ruiz, great performance. Where's his goal from here? And Ariola, what a fantastic career he had, and the fact that he managed to roll back the years one last time, I think he deserves a lot of credit. Yeah, he certainly does, but like we've said before in, in boxing, cruel sport, you don't always get that credit you deserve. I mean, I, 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 I thought he'd probably nick that fight, to be honest with you. Um, but it doesn't always go that way, does it? Your judges seem to, I don't know, they seem to favour the guy who was supposed to win, if you like, and perhaps that's that's how that one went with Andy Ruiz. I, I thought it was lucky. I thought it was lucky to get the result there. He, he needs to smarten up a bit. I think he looked great on the scales. He, he lost all that weight and looked in tremendous condition on the training that he's been doing. I, mean, I saw some pictures of him last week when my friend told me, I think I was telling you last week, and we was in the gym and we were sort of both gobsmacked about it when we saw the, the photographs of him and looked how well he'd been training. I think it was inspirational, really, the way his story of the last few months in his camp. But, no, I thought he got caught there. He got caught early doors and Ariola, as you said, rolled back the years and, and gave a tremendous performance. But it's just been heart-wrenching for him. He, he's put all that in and, and not got the result that, you know, perhaps he deserved. It's seeming as if Luis Ortiz versus Andy Ruiz has got to be the next fight. Is that one you're interested in? Yeah, I think any fight that Andy Ruiz is in, you're going to be interested in because he's one of those fighters, those world level fighters that is every <clears throat> excuse me every time he fights, it's it, he's going to be you know fireworks there. He's an explosive fighter and. Uh, you know he's he's a world level fighter, so any fight he's involved in, Luis Ortiz as well has been a really really good solid boxer, hasn't he? And you know I'd, I'd expect Andy Ruiz to pass that test, but it is a test for him. So no, that'd be definitely a fight I'd be interested in. Now we talk regularly about the YouTuber Jake Paul on this show, him coming <laughs> into the sport of boxing and making waves. His brother Logan Paul will be taking on Floyd Mayweather on June 6th in Florida on Showtime pay-per-view. One of the greatest fighters of all time is challenging a YouTuber with a 0-1 run record. It's got to look very peculiar. Floyd Mayweather's five foot six, Logan Paul's six foot four. Obviously, Floyd's still a humongous favourite. Do you think this is going to be a spectacle or is it a bit of a laughing stock? How are they going to work the weight out for this one? <laughs> You've got uh, there. Is, is it going to be a catch weight or do we not know that yet? It's going to be an exhibition bout. Uh, Floyd Mayweather is not allowed to weigh any more than 160. I don't think that's an issue because he's not been above 152, I think, for a very long time. I think 152 he fought Canelo at. Uh, Logan Paul isn't allowed to be any heavier than 190 pounds. What's that in stone? About 14. Right. Mm, So, yeah, it's it's a big weight difference, that. but I don't know. Looking at it from my point of view, I, I think he'd be very lucky if he gets anywhere near Floyd Mayweather. We know what a good champion he is. He's so hard to hit. You try and hit him when he's in that ring. You're six foot four, and you'll be chasing him around that ring. You won't get anywhere near him. 
I mean, that that's my opinion. I, I think it'd be, as you said as well, it's a, it's an exhibition contest. So I don't like these exhibition contests. Boxing is not an exhibition. It's it's a very tough sport. Isn't it? You can't say, oh, don't hit him too hard. It's an exhibition. So no, it'll be interesting. To watch that. It really will. And. I think it'll capture the imagination of the public in, in America. You know, I wouldn't like to say how many um, sort of pay-per-view subscriptions you get for that, but I bet you're talking millions and millions and millions. And now it's time for the real stuff. There's an absolutely massive collision on Saturday night. The pound for pound number one, as rated by the Ring magazine, Sol Canelo Ares is back in action, <clears> taking <throat> on England's Billy Joe Saunders in a huge unification matchup. Canelo has been absolutely fantastic as of late, beating the likes of Callum Smith and dominating the super middleweight division. Is he going to put in another incredible performance? Or is Billy Joe Saunders going to prove everybody who's believed in him right that he is this fantastically talented fighter? He's shown glimmers of absolute brilliance, but he's not put in a great performance since the David Lemieux fight three years ago. Does Canelo win this one, or does Billy Joe pull off the upset? Uh, oh, that's another big question. I think if I had to put my mortgage on it right now, I'd be going with Canelo. I think just just because of the way he's fought over the last couple of years. I mean, look at the victory over Callum Smith. I mean, everyone was raving about Callum Smith, myself included. I believe Callum Smith was one of the best super middleweights on the planet. He had all the tools in his shed, the reach, you know, the height advantage. <clears throat> Canelo made short work of him, really. I thought he'd give him a boxing lesson. Uh, Billy Joe Saunders, as you said, very, very talented. Can do brilliant things. But I think he struggles to put it together. It went, once a fight goes so many rounds, can he, can he box well? I mean, I mean, I can't see him knocking Canelo out. Um, so you're looking at a, this fight going the distance. And can he perform consistently over a 12-round fight against one of the best in the world. It's a big ask. It's a massive ask for him. If I had to put money, I'd go with Canelo, but he's a dangerous man. Dangerous man, Billy Joe Saunders. And it should be an epic fight. It really should because, you know, he's a real tough fighter. And there's, there's two blokes there who are not going to back down one, one inch. So I think you should expect fireworks in this one. It's a great fight and we're all looking forward to it. And we'll break down the result this time next week on the Sports Zone. But that's all the boxing for today. And now it's time for the rugby. I'm going to throw it over to Rob. Yeah, let's talk rugby league now, Paul. And so for the Devils, they went down to home defeat against Casper Tigers. 18 points to 28. Talk us through it. Yeah, well, I said in the reports on on, um, on Friday night, I thought it was our best 40 minutes so far. The first half was the best 40 minutes I've seen. It was this season. <clears throat> I thought we looked a lot more cohesive on attack. I thought we, we looked dangerous at times. No, we, we tested Castleford, you know, nine levels coming back to the AJ Bell. I think he looked a bit shaky under the eyeball and, and, and we caught Castleford out and found some inroads in where we could do damage and, and we all right, we went behind. I felt the try we conceded early doors was a poor one. You know, Elliot Keir got caught out from that, that high kick and a bit of a poor try to concede there, but we bounced back there with two tries of our own and got got into a 12-6 lead. The first try was a tremendous one, lovely kick from two with all here. Callum Watkins showed all the quality in the world to jump up and, and then offload to Kevin Brown to score. And then, you know, that, that got us back in the game. So then leading by 12 points to six, Cash got a try back, didn't they? 12-all. And then you can see the silly penalty before and half-time. Having watched it back on the television this weekend, I didn't think it was a penalty. I thought it was a penalty for Sol, but Danny Addy looked to have the ball stolen. He got done for uh, for mouthing off. Penalty goal, 14 points to 12 at half-time. And I thought it was a bit hard done to. I think 12 apiece was a fair result at half-time. Yeah, ill-discipline and penalties costing Salford, Paul. In Super League, you cannot give the opposition territory and ball. You will get punished. Richard Marshall, 
over the last few weeks have talked about that and he's frustrated. Yeah, yeah. I, I might be a bit controversial. I mean, when I do the podcast view, I don't think I've ever slagged the referee off. I always slag Salford off first and, and, and pull holes in the performances. But I'm going to go on, you know, try and stick up for Richard Marshall this week. I, th- I thought the club, the players and, and Richard Marshall were a bit hard done to on a few decisions. And I know in the second half, Lee Mossop got simbed in for... For something it was a bit silly, really, a, a late challenge on Danny Richardson. Peter Matautier, though, for Castleford, um, dangerous tackle, I thought, and I, I bet he gets banned for that this week. And he didn't get Simbin for it, so I thought that was a bit of a turning point in the game because we had a bit of pressure on Castleford there at the time. I thought it was one or two other little 50-50 decisions that didn't go our way. But you can't blame that on the result. I think Castleford just edged it for me. And as you said, <clears throat> ill-discipline in that second half. There's a few repeat sets again. I think we were on the wrong end of a penalty count, um, again, quite by, by quite a long way. And... We didn't really stamp our authority on that second half. And I don't think Castleford played that well, but I don't think we let them play. So I thought that's one thing that Richard Marsh can take out of that game is you've got a real sort of attacking side in, in, in Cass. And, and we, we neutralised them really for long periods of the game. So I don't think he should be too disheartened. He scored six points from penalty goals, four tries to three it was. So it was a, it was a tight game, real tight game. And they're not a bad side. I think they'll be there about there or thereabouts at the end of the season. So we can take a lot of heart from that. And, I think if we can get our tactics right this coming Saturday in the, the cup game when the two sides meet, Salford can win. Salford can win this Saturday. I'm, I'm convinced of that. People say that you learn a lot in defeat, Paul. What does Richard Marshall learn? What do the players learn? And what do we learn in defeat about Salford Red Devils? Um, I think there's lessons to be learned from from that game on, on Friday night. I think there's one player... <coughs> excuse me, I've got a bit of a cough tonight. There's one player that needs to be bottled up for Castle, that's Paul McShane. You let Paul McShane run, he'll run all over you. I think he's the best hooker in Super League and he should definitely be in that England World Cup team. Fantastic player. His performance on Friday night, you know, you let him run, he'll get that team rolling forward. He's so good around the rook. He's offload game, he's short kicking game. He's a top player. He was the difference for me. Um, so you've got to stop him. Uh, you've got to tighten up around the middle. I think we've got a bit. Salford have got to be a bit more aggressive as well. I know the supporters have been calling for that for a while. I think we've been a bit, <clears throat> a bit soft in the forwards. For, for me, our, our contact's been been softer. I think we've got we've got to tighten that up. I think supporters are starting to question now the uh, the, the tinkering. I think of Richard Marshall with his with his squad selection. I mean, Richard Marshall, the coach, he's an expert, but <clears throat> there's been a few sort of. You know, positional changes. Chris and who dropped out, didn't he, at the weekend? Harvey Levet came in at the centre. We don't know whether that, well, Richard Marshall said he wasn't injured. So that's a change that's been made. We've had Elliot Keir and Morgan Esquire at fullback. You know, people have said, why is Morgan Esquire not playing? Not that I think Elliot Keir's done anything wrong, really. I thought he was, he was pretty decent in that game. So I think there's a few things that perhaps need changing. I think in the, in the forwards, we just need to get that bit of aggression, especially against Cassie, who are a very aggressive side. and you know, you need to combat that. You need to win that arm wrestle in the middle and then that's going to give you the platform to, to go on the attack. So, yeah, I, d- I don't think we learn loads about Castle, but I think we need to learn things about ourselves. We need to learn to be smarter, not give silly penalties away. Lee Mossop doesn't need to do that. And Danny Richardson, you know, you're going off there for 10 minutes and that's a, a big hole when there's 15, 12, 15 minutes left in the game. So that was something they didn't need to do. So I think for Salford, they need to be smarter. Uh, I spoke to Richard Marshall after the game and this is what I had to say. Right, Rick, it's Rob. Hey, Rob. Defeat tonight against Casper. Talk us through it. Yeah, it was. I thought our first half was 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 really good. I thought we went toe to toe, and then we couldn't sustain that level of performance in the second half. Castleford was skirting across the line. Um, they they unpicked us a couple of times with a little with a couple of kicks, and 
they're a smart team. They, they, they make you put they put you in places that you don't want to be in uh, defensively. And and, and the, you know if you get your numbers wrong or your fullbacks in the line, you know they'll pick your pocket. And they did that. Um, but we'll we'll learn from that. We'll learn from that performance tonight. Yeah, you talk about the smarts a lot. Do you think we were out fought in that out fought in that second half? Possibly, yeah, possibly. Um, some of the combinations you've got to remember that, that that team has been together for you know five, six, seven years. Uh, it, it's a well-oiled machine, uh, and I thought we disrupted that machine at times. Certainly in the first half, with our defensive pattern and systems, um, you, you know, collectively this team is, is is a new team pretty much. So. Um, we're not going to get too down, um, I, 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 you know. And as I said, I think it, I don't think we were we were we were too far off in in a lot of areas. Yeah, a lot of penalties and, and errors in that second half must be frustrating for you. The penalties are. I can handle the errors. Uh, you know, it, it, you don't if you if you're not if you, you make errors when you're trying. Um, and, and 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 but the, but the penalties. Are, yeah, we've just got to get rid of them out of our game. Uh, I'm sick to death of talking about penalties. And uh, and that's something that we'll be looking at this week. Um, we need. I don't think we've won a penalty count since we've started. Um, I did think it was a bit... I, I thought I thought the game... It, there was a couple of things out there that I'm still scratching my head about. Yeah, it's, it's a fine line between aggressive defence and obviously giving penalties away. How would you plan to fix that up on the, on the training field? Well, there's two ways you can get fitter as a team. Uh, so if you do give penalties away, you're able to defend for longer periods. Uh, and then there's the smarts, uh, which is get your tackle technique right. Don't lie in the rope. Make sure you're on side with the referee. So um, I think the latter of the two is the area that, that, that I'm sure the players would want to be accountable for. Because I don't think we're, we're not a fit team. Um, but, you know, to do, uh, what, 50, 60, 70 more tackles, I'm sure that's what we did more than the opposition. Just hurts you. Yeah, no Inu, Escali or Pauli Pauli tonight. Was that tactical or, or injury hit? Uh, well, Paulie's not quite fit yet. Uh, Morgan, we just felt Elliot did a decent job last week. And Chris and was touching goal, really, this week. Uh, it's a tough call for Chris. Um Coincidentally, his wife's his partner's gone into labour, so I don't know if he'd have been playing anyway. But there's no excuse there. Aside from that, I thought um, Harvey Levet that left edge was was pretty stable. That was you know we were working on combinations there, and, and James Green would come in and did a good job last week. So we just thought that was, yeah, that was the way we went this week. Yeah, Casper next week in, in the cup. Have you seen enough tonight to see you know how you can change it around and get a result? I think we made some subtle changes, whether that's to the team or the plan, just some subtle changes. We certainly have to change our uh, um, defensive, sorry, our discipline, our attitude to, to, to defending and discipline. That'll change this week. Cheers, Rick. Good luck. Thank you. So that was Richard Marshall talking to myself after the game, Paul. And I put to him that I felt we were out far in that second half. We struggled to break Castleford down. And he wasn't kind of getting drawn on it, but it is a concern that we aren't clicking very well in attack. No, well, we we did when we scored that try. I mean, Lollerier and, and Kevin Brown linked up really well there. And I, I happen to think the two half-packs played quite well. But as I said there, I keep going back to the, the forwards. I think the pack, for me, aren't doing the job. I mean, he dropped, I think, he, well, I don't think he was injured. He, Darcy Lustig played against Lee, and he impressed me. I thought he was decent. He went forward. 
he took four or five people to tackle him, big powerful man. Then he's not in the team the week after. And, and to me, it's, the, the pack has changed around too much. I mean, surely you've got to give lads a run in, in the side. And it, it just seems to be changing over too much for me. And once you're on the back foot against a side like Castleford, you've got to beat him in the forwards. You've got to get that field position. We hardly had any ball in that second half in decent field position because our forwards weren't making the, the yards and, um, and Castleford were. So that's something we've got to do. We've got to get on top of their pack on Saturday if, we, if we're to turn this, this result around and, and get the victory in the cup. You know, and progress through to the, those those semi-finals. We can definitely win that game, but we need to start quick and, and, and get on top in the forwards, definitely. Yeah, he talks about the smarts and how he's planning to make the players improve on the performances. He thinks we're giving away too many penalties and absorbing pressure, and it comes down to improving fitness and physical fitness and mental fitness going forward, Paul. And I kind of agree with him. I think we are giving away ball we're giving away territory and that's only going to hurt us in the long run because these teams know how to punish the mistakes like that yeah and on the other hand you shouldn't why are you needing to improve your physical fitness so you've had a whole pre-season you should be fit as butchers dogs now so a few people have said to me recently we don't look as fit as we did last season um is that something you know obviously greg brown's left now our conditioner why aren't the players looking as fit that's that's a concern for me the players should be should be fit. They should be fit and ready. So, so yeah, definitely they need to to, to smart on that up. But no, I think I think we need to be smart. And the penalties is a big concern. I think every every week this season we've not won a penalty count yet, and we seem to be conceding a lot of those those sort of six to goes as well. I know at the weekend Danny had he got pulled didn't he, for for back chat, and I thought he was a bit unlucky with that Robert Hicks. I thought was a bit pedantic the referee for us at times in that game. But uh, but no, you, you can't do that though. You can't afford to be to be mouthing back at the referee and, and giving those silly penalties away because. You know, Castleford punished us for it. Danny Richardson there was, you know, he's got a wise head on, on young shoulders, really, and he, he just kicked the goals every time, didn't he, and took the sting out of us. So we've got to play smart and that. You're not going to beat anybody when you're playing like that. You're right there, there, Paul. He talks about Paula Paula still being injured. Um, Inu, Christian Inu partner is expecting a baby, and he was it's 50-50 wherever he was playing. He says he preferred Elliot Kay over Espastian. Uh, the, the French fullback Escarly, so that's his his choice as the coach. That's what he decides. So, are you thinking that there might be changes, Castleford in the cup next week? Uh, yeah, because he seems to change it every week, doesn't he, Richard Marshall? But I, I don't know how I, I'll expect him to change it again. Um, I don't. I don't think Escarly come back in to be honest because. I think Keir, he's done all right at fullback. I think he's he's been impressive. But for me, has Eskery just got that bit extra? Has he got that bit extra flair uh, than, than Elliot Keir? He's a bit bigger than Elliot Keir, isn't he? Elliot Keir seems to struggle sometimes. He's not the biggest guy in the world. But what he's not got in size, he sort of has in, in heart. He's got a tremendous heart and he'll run all day for you as well. So that could be a change. But if it was me, I'd probably leave Keir in there for, for, uh, for what he's done in recent weeks. I don't think he's, he's done much wrong. Uh, would Inu come back in? Possibly. Dan Sargerson could come back in this week, I think. Possibly Elijah Taylor. We'll have to wait and see when the squad comes out, who's in the squad. But uh, there's not probably not a lot else I'd change round, really. I don't think the team was, was awful against Castle, but I thought there was an awful lot of effort and endeavour there. Um, just need to smarten things up, really. So I don't think wholesale changes are needed, because I think that'll just disrupt things even more. Minute and a half to go, Paul. Now let's talk about our other club, Swinton Lions. They faced Widness this weekend and went down 46 points to 10. Tough defeat for Stuart Littler's men. It was, yeah, actually. Back uh, Swinton on me accumulate this week. I thought it would be an awful lot closer that game than that, and that'll be disappointing. You know, Widness have not had the best starts of the season. 
Um, <clears throat> that was possibly a game that Stuart Little men were targeting for it for results. So, yeah, a bit of a heavy defeat that. You know, I've read some comments. I think it was on the, the Our League app. Some of the Swinton supporters I've seen, they were saying it was a very disappointing performance. I've not seen it myself, so can't really comment. But 46 tends to... A bit of a, a bit of a hide in there, so uh, yeah, they'll be looking at you know bouncing back from that this week, get a bit of good training behind them this week, and, and bounce back because that's that's a big defeat. Yeah, got a minute to go, Paul. They face Bradford this week. Opportunity, I think, for for Stuart Little's men because obviously they've had some tough fixtures, you know, in the last few weeks. Featherstone and and, and other York, the other teams that are towards the top. Opportunity now to secure a win against Bradford. Yeah, Bradford had a good result the weekend. They won away at, at, at Whitehaven. Always a tough place to go there. I don't think I've won since I've been there many times. It's always an hard place to go. So, good result for Bradford there. So, no games are easy in that championship, Rob. It's a very tough league, as we've mentioned before. And uh, and wins are going to be hard to come by. They really are. It's going to be a tough season for Swinton. And, but they've just got to approach every game. It's all cliche. You've got to approach every game and, and try your best in every game. Bradford, again, tough, tough ass. But there's no reason why they can't get a result. Yeah, 20 seconds to go, Paul. It's it's rugby league. It's a fantastic sport. I'm looking forward to talking to it on the Sports Zone. Yeah, it's like a countdown at NASA, this, isn't it, Rob? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll see you. I can't wait for next weekend, mate. Yeah, been great talking all things sport in Salford. Big thanks to the, to the Sports Zone on Salford City Radio. We'll see you next week for more Salford Sport in chat.